of Yahweh. Again, the opportunity to share your word to any that have an ear, not to just hear the words, but to listen to the message, to go to your word, seek your face, your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom, that you may expand their knowledge through the Holy Spirit. Father, you told us that you would do that. Jesus told us that you would do that when he left. That through the comforter, we would gain knowledge and understanding. Thank you, Father. Thank you for staying true to that. Thank you, Father, for just being a good, good Father and always being faithful and true to what you tell us, Father God. We just need to open our spiritual sight, open our spiritual hearing, and behold, practice your presence, Father God. Abba Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua Aman, Paraklitos Aman. So the Holy Spirit and I were having this conversation earlier, praying and talking about things and sharing about this dark foreboding place. And it is a dark foreboding place. The truth is, there's a lot of pretty things around here, but honestly, I'm glad this is not my home. And there are some people that I've shared this before that even claiming to be Christian, that they get upset because this is their home. Well, that's really great, but I don't like garbage and trash in my yard, which even where I live, I'd have to go out and occasionally pick that up because of the many, many kids around and just um, it's that way. But this plane of existence that we are currently existing in, moving about, is not my home. I am on a work visa here that is signed by my Lord, my God, endorsed by my King, my Savior, and my guidance counselor, the comforter, also endorsed by them. So I'm on a I'm on a work visa that I'm about my father's business here in this plane of existence. And when I get to go home, my heavenly kingdom that I am heir and joint heir in, that's my home. And for those of you, quite honestly, that like to claim this as being home and get all upset, and and I've heard those some of those uh, label heads and self-proclaimed Christians get all agitated because this is their home, so they, they'll fight for their home. Well, I guess that could be a good thing, but the Bible tells us that that's, this is not our home and that we should look forward to winning the good race and that we go home and they speak, and the Bible speaks of home as being our heavenly kingdom. So you have those that are claiming to be followers, believers in Christ, the only begotten Son of God, having faith in God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but yet 
they are speaking outwardly that they don't believe what God is saying. So that brings me to this quandary. You either are or you are not. It's just one way or the other. And we are told that your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. So you either yes or no. Don't say you are one thing and then try to bend it to make it so that you fall into that gray area. There is no gray. And Jesus talks about that. John, while on the island of Patmos and visited by Christ, writes the letters to the churches. And what does Jesus tell us in the book of Revelation? And he talks about uh, the church being lukewarm. So you're either hot or you're cold. Okay. Hang tight. I didn't mark it, and I wasn't going to go there, but that is, that bears my going to the book of Revelation, and when he talks about it, um, and it's troubling to our Lord, and he talks about being lukewarm and spewing you out for being such. And it's one of the letters to the church, and, and they were good, except you notice that, I've shared this before, is that he wrote to the seven churches. He had letters written to all of them. And there were two, only two, where he didn't have a warning or pointing out to them that they had walked away from what they were doing or what they said they would do. And the other churches, they had all walked away from what they had promised or what they said. You know, God is their love. And, and then they get caught up in all these things they're of their own doing that they like to claim and be prideful for. And this is one of the things that This is one of the things that Jesus was talking about, the pride, pride of the fall. And allowing themselves to become so mindful of what they were doing and so prideful on what they had done that they completely forgot that they were doing it for the Lord. And they pat themselves on the back. They become so proud of what they've done. They have allowed pride to take over from what they should be doing. And then it all becomes about their actions. Remember, Paul writes in, in his letters, you know, and he, he speaks to this very thing. I don't brag upon this or I don't boast or I don't speak 
of this as unto myself, lest I boast. Um, and when you're boasting, you're bragging about what you've done. And it's all about you and not about the Lord, not about the truth, not about his knowledge and wisdom. That's why I constantly, some of you might get tired of hearing it, and that's fine. And if that drives you that you don't want to listen, well, that's your choice. I don't care, but I'm always going to remind you that this is not about me. This podcast that I share is God's. He gave me the platform. He told me how to do it. And I am about my father's business. And we need to remember that. None of this is about us. Nothing we do, even when we go out as disciples and we take this disciple, this class and things that I'm going through for the church, this is about sharing the word and going out. And they're trying to help us to be better at it, to be reinforced for that. But here's the thing that you have to remember, just like this interesting conversation we had in class uh, this last week and the openness of it, but we are pretty much all in agreement that there were a lot of things that were very stereotypically worldly uh, stereotypical comments made and were worldly and were not there. And the po I made a point. The spirits had me speak up. This wasn't didn't come out of me. I was thinking it, but the Holy Spirit told me to go ahead and speak it. If it's not following the biblical precepts and tenets of God, then it shouldn't be done. Period. Period. If it's not by God's will to be said and the Holy Spirit doesn't guide you, then don't do it. And it doesn't matter what you think your position or authority might be. It doesn't matter. If you're not doing the will of God and you're going about doing this all on your own, and I've shared this with you before too, you can't bend truth so that it fits into your agenda. You either tell the truth or you don't. If you say that you follow Jesus Christ, the anointed one of God, and that you believe he's the only begotten son, and that the Holy Spirit guide your steps, then do it and act it. Don't pretend anything. Because when you do that, just like John declared, if you say one thing, but you act another, then you're simply a liar. You are simply a liar, period. And people, oh, then, then you have individuals that don't want to share things like that because, oh, goodness gracious, that might offend somebody. Well, too bad, so sad. It's the truth. The Bible speaks it. John just put it out there. And you have individuals that are claiming to be followers of God, believers in Jesus Christ, Christ our King and Lord, and the Holy Spirit, but yet they want to be apologetic about the Word of God. They want to be apologetic about certain things, and they don't want to say certain things because they will find it will be offensive, and they don't want anyone's feelings to be hurt. Well, 
Too bad, so sad. If you seek offense, you shall surely find offense. Period. So, that being said, you're either going to be truthful or you're not. So, here's what Jesus had to say about that. And this is why I mention it and I share it in this way because, brothers and sisters, there are individuals who are claiming to be elders and in leadership of, church, of a church and co-pastors or associate pastors, whatever. But they're just pouring out apology after apology after apology and they won't say anything. And then, they, then they, they're reading the scripture and then they stop themselves in midstream and become apologetic. Well, my ancestors used to have a saying about this. It wasn't specifically because uh, it was said by another horse riding nation. And it talks about changing horse in midstream. It's an old adage that was done, and that's because when you get out in the middle of the river and you're riding one horse, and then you decide that you're going to change and go to another one, you're going to get wet. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that you're going to fall. So the same thing when you are preaching and sharing and attempting to be a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, you say his words. You don't apologize for that and then try to change in midstream while you're there and become all apologetic for the word of God. When that happens, just like happens that I've had these individuals do that and while I'm listening, it leads me to wonder about what's being said otherwise. And I really pray through this because Satan loves to cause disruption and dissension and derisiveness even within the body. So I pray through it. But there's still this bit of concern. I'm not going to get confrontational about it. I'm not going to get all agitated. But the concern is that are they speaking truth and what... We are to do, as John reminds us, to try the Spirit in all things. In 1 John 4, 1, I've shared it with you. Try the Spirit in all things. And here's the other thing, too. As in that teacher that came as a guest speaker for our class, it may fully well not be an intentional deception or an intentional point that they are speaking the way they are. However, they're not getting their facts straight. And rather than praying through, I think what they have done, what it seems to be, is that they just go ahead on their own. And when I do this, I'm really cautious to not do that. And the times that I have, I'll 
be perfectly honest with you, there's a couple times where I was going to take off on my own, had ideals and thoughts. God shut that down. He didn't allow it to record. He didn't allow me to be able to publish and to put it out. And the Holy Spirit took that away. Couldn't find him. And that's plenty okay with me because I desire to share the truth, the knowledge, and the wisdom of my Father, guided by the Holy Spirit, my yea to be yea and my nay to be nay, period. Period. Now, back to that lukewarm garbage. If we go to Revelation 3, So we're going to go to 3.13. And this is, this is something that is always said in the John letters that John wrote. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You're hearing what is being said, but more importantly, listen to the message because the message just is not to the seven churches, although in the word, in the book of Revelation, it is specifically to the seven early churches, but this is to each and every follower that claim to be a believer in Christ Jesus, having faith in God, and yet they fall into much of this category, many of these categories. And as I shared with you, there are only two that Jesus does not give a stern word and share that he has an issue with what they're doing because they're still doing what they said they were going to do. But we're going to go to Revelation 3 and 13. And again, for those of you that, oh, I don't read the book of Revelation because it's all this doom and gloom and blah, 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 blah. Well, as I've also shared, is that in some translations you will find when you go to the book of Revelation and you flip that open up there at the top of the page, like um, in the beginning of mine, it says, the revelation of St. John the Divine. This is old King James, old English, because he wrote it. So they give the credit to him. However, in many translations, you will see the book of Revelation. Uh, and then right under that, it says, of Jesus Christ or simply says, Revelation of Jesus Christ, which is essentially what the book of Revelation is all about. It's not about John the Baptist on the island of Patmos. He was there because they couldn't kill him. Remember, I've shared this with you for more of your education. John the Baptist, John was not able to be killed. They attempted to kill him on a number of occasions, they tried to hang him, they tried to poison him, they tried to put him in a, a vat of boiling oil, and they tried to pull him apart, and 
nothing worked. So they were just, they were baffled and they had no idea what to do with the guys. So they chained them all up. They put them on a boat and they took them out to the island of Patmos. And there he would spend the rest of the days until he went home. But the thing of it is that this was a prison island and it was intended for him to spend his time alone, but he wasn't. Jesus came, angels came, he saw visions, and he was still about our Father's business. And he was still about, yea, be yea, and nay, be nay. Back down here to Revelation book of Chapter 3, verse 13. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, and unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write. These things saith the Amen, faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Uh, what does John mean when he says that? The Amen. Well, the word Amen means so be it. And it's John's way of saying Christ, the anointed of God, so be my will, so be it done. And it do so through my only begotten son, whom he sent, as we read in John 3.16. Again, these things say at the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. Remember, the word was with God from the beginning. And he saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. All these things Jesus Christ, anointed of God, witnessed all. Again, further in verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. You're neither one. You're just kind of in the middle. If you were a hot cup of tea, it would be good. It would be soothing. People like a hot cup of tea. They've been making warm brews for a long time. And you're not cold, which would be quenching in heat. It says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That, brothers and sisters, is a powerful statement right there that comes from Christ that he tells John to put in his letter and send it to the church. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increase with goods, look what I have done and look what we are and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You're so caught up in pride and self-worth and all the things that you're doing, you don't even see the point. This is what Jesus tried to explain to the Pharisees. 
And he also tried to get the disciples to understand. They claim not to be sinful and they claim not to have sin, so they didn't. Well, it wasn't exactly that they didn't. It said, how are you going to be convincing anyone of something when they keep saying they're not? Just like when Jesus went out of the compassion of his heart for his earthly mother and he went back to Nazareth. What happened in Nazareth? He was rebuked, he was belittled, he was degraded, and they took him. They were going to take Jesus out on the edge of the precipice behind the synagogue, and they were going to stone him and push him over because he healed the man's hand. And he was doing things that was against their laws because they followed the laws of Moses. No, they weren't. They weren't following anything except the laws that they declared. And then when it came time to, to call the worship, they would come in and they would read certain things from Torah. Well, Jesus had, was there and they were going to attempt to take his life and he just walked right through the midst. They couldn't see him. He just walked away. But they rebuked him and they said, who is this person that we, we know his family? We know his brothers and his sisters. Yes, brothers and sisters, I share that with you, that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, earthly born, had earthly brothers and sisters. And they knew, their claim was that they knew Jesus' family. And they made retorts and comments about how they remembered when he was a, you know, typical child and you know how adults get, oh, you were nothing but a bunch of brats. Well, I don't think that Jesus was necessarily that, but he was running around with all the other children, so they lumped him into that. They remembered when he was a child. They remember when he was running in around with the other children in the village. And that's what they remembered about Jesus. They didn't remember anything about what he was preaching. They didn't pay any attention to anything else except that he was the son of that carpenter, the son of the craftsman down at the end of the street. And they knew his family. So where does this authority come from that he claimed to have or that he was speaking of? They were blinded because they knew him so well or they claimed that they knew his, his family so well that they would automatically know who he was, but he hadn't been in the, if they were really paying attention, they would have known that he had been gone for many years. Which he had. But they didn't pay attention to that. So Jesus talking in, in this letter that John writes to the church in Laodicea, they got so caught up in everything that they were about and everything that they were doing. And they were, they were so busy patting themselves on the back. They were putting their shoulder joints out of, they were disjointing their limbs because they were so busy trying to reach around and pat their own backs or pat each other on the back. and claiming that they need nothing 
And further, Jesus is telling John, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. You can't even see that because you're so busy with how good you are. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Seeing the truth, seeing with spiritual eyesight, clothing themselves in the raiment that God tells us he will do when we are his children. Further in verse 19, and as, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. The Lord will abide when he knocks. Simply open the door and respond. Open the door and respond. Open the door and let him in. So I'm going to jump over to John 3.16. It's very important that I share this with you. And the reason being. Because it talks about this light issue. So first of all, in John 30, 16, this is a declaration that all these things that are going on around and as dark as the world is and as broken as the world is, the promise that God gives. For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting light. And he promises that. Like my other reading, it was saying the same thing. It's confirmation. I love it when the Lord delivers to me confirmation from one mentor, one teacher through reading and all these connections that he makes all speaking toward the same thing. We don't do conference calls. I don't call them all up and get together and share information and they don't contact all the other. And then we have this big conference powwow. It doesn't work that way. It's a spiritual powwow because the spirit is sharing what they're sharing with to their congregation or one another. And they are sharing it with me through their writing. And God uses that. The Holy Spirit uses that thing. I've, I think I've shared this with you before is that I was taking a walk and stopped in front of a store and there was something being televised back in those days. They used to have the repair shops would put televisions and things in when they wanted to resell them. Anyway, so there was a program and something was said. And then as I turned to walk away, there was a billboard. Back in those days, they had billboards. And I saw a similar message that was on that. Then I went down and rounded the corner and ran into a person that says, wow, I know who you are. I, oh, 
this is so great. And I was sharing and then I happened to share the things that I saw and they said, man, I had needed to hear something like this. I needed to hear this. I'm so glad it was you. Brothers and sisters, this is the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in this way. So enough. And that's not about patting myself on the back. That's the Holy Spirit. And glory to God because he uses different tools to do different things. And then it will take you right around the corner to do something like that. And it's the glory of God and the Holy Spirit's guidance Listen to what's being said. Don't shut things down like that. Well, I don't really want to go that way. I want to go the other way. If this is something that is is kind of a, for lack of a better description to it, a nagging thought that keeps coming into your, your mind and you keep hearing that over and over again, follow it. This is how the Holy Spirit guides us through our thoughts and will give you ideas. And we'll take you. So, further, in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that he would through him might be, that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is a condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They thought that they were being hidden in the darkness. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Everybody see what they're about. But he that doth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest. and that they are wrought of God. So people will see these things and know that it is God's work. This is what we're all about. This is not like at the Church of Laodicea what, what uh, John has sent them a letter because they get so caught up in everything that they're doing and what they're about. And quite honestly, I see some of those churches that are doing that activity now and it's kind of, it saddens me because I see them and they run around doing all this stuff and they want to, it's, it's, um, it's self-glory. And the reality of it is that they're, they come in, they, they do all this stuff for, and they only go to a certain area. And then they don't do anything coming back to pick up trash or garbage or anything else. And that whole area is left decimated by litter, trash, and garbage of things that this church has brought. So they come and they do it and then they go away. And now what? There's no follow-up. No sharing further word. No sharing further truth and coming back to take care of that business and then maybe share some clothing or share something else or more importantly, to share the word. And I've witnessed this and it, it saddens me. I just pray for him. That's what we can do. 
You don't want to be confrontational. You don't want to be all sorts of things because a lot of they get that way. Folks get that way. Then if anything is said, then they want to get defensive. They want to be offended by the fact that you point out a truth. It saddens me that we get so offended at truth. Well, believe the lies and that sort of thing, that's okay. And then when somebody shares the truth, they want to get offended about it. Unfortunate. And all these things that are going on around us, we have to remember, most importantly, that we have something that God has given us that none can take away from us. And I'm sh going to share with you from Romans 8, which I have told you before, I call it our adoption letter. And it is very much that thing. And one of those promises that really should light up our life, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, that's important because God doesn't stand over on the side and when he sees you do something, he's not going to sit over there and wag his finger at you and say, you know, didn't I just see you do that last week, last month, or last year? God doesn't do that. And if you've talked to God about that and you repented, he's forgiven. And maybe you slip. And you fall off the side of that path. It happened. It can happen. God doesn't condemn you for that. God is not going to condemn you. He's not going to stand there on the edge and look down at you while you're on the ground. And you're feeling ashamed for having fallen. But what does he do? He doesn't wag his finger at you and stand there looking at you going, uh-huh, see, see. That's from the accuser. God doesn't do that. The accuser does that. But our Father, our King, the Holy Spirit will reach down and pick you up, dust you off, and put his hand on each side of your face and look you right straight in the eye and smile and say, it's okay, I love you. And then pull you in and give you one of those hugs that you cannot hardly stand it because the love just pours out. And then you start bawling and you leak everywhere. It can't be helped. When God comes and I and his presence, when he shares with me, and he comes. When he comes and he shares himself with me, I can't help it. I cannot help but to leak out. It's just, there's there's not room inside for all this emotion that I have that's welling up because God is in there and it's just pushing it up to the brim. And as Paul talks about, he shares about in Ephesians 3, 
that you might be filled to the full measure of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, let me tell you, when God fills you up, you're going to overflow because there's so much that God has to give because he loves us so much that it will overflow. It will overflow. So further in verse three, for what the law could not do in what it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. What does that mean? God came here, was manifest in Christ Jesus, only begotten son and was made flesh who was with God from the beginning, and he came here to walk with us. He was tempted. He was, this is a thing that's so baffling that people try to figure out what they're in their finite minds and can't be done. That he was wholly a man, tempted of man, tempted as men, yet did not sin. And he was wholly the only begotten Son of God. Heavenly attributes didn't come with him so that he could just do, and I'm certain that if he asked for things to be done, and he did in the garden, I mean, he didn't want to get crucified. He was responding as a man. He didn't want to hang on a tree and have nails driven through his flesh. And he didn't want to be beaten nearly to death. And he said, Father, if there's any way that you can take this cup from me. Prayed so fervently that he burst blood vessels in his face around his forehead. And he was bleeding. And it was mixed with his sweat. And yet, in the very same breath, he said, not my will, but thine be done. and was nailed to that tree, that wood cut from a tree and put in the ground on the top of Golgotha, and he died there. But not that he just died because of the crucifixion, that didn't happen. He gave up the spirit of life willfully. See, this is something that you have to know and understand and kind of realize about crucifixion. Jesus was crucified, but it didn't happen the way that the Romans normally did it. This went according to God's plan and not man's plan. Jesus' life was not taken from him. Jesus' life was given by him. And before that happened, he looked down at us and he saw me and some others standing around with the Pharisees at the bottom of the cross and throwing rocks and spitting toward him and throwing clods of dirt. And he looked down at us and he looked and he saw me over there and he said, Father, forgive him for he doesn't know what he's doing. And he did. And he did. 
further reading of verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh, you mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So if you're looking to do all those things and all these so-called friends want to drag you around all the nightclubs and all this other stuff to do that, and, and you're mindful of that being done, you're going to follow along, you're going to do it. But remember that Jesus tells us, and I shared this with you, that toxic friendships, you got to cut it loose. Because they're going to beleaguer the word of God. They're going to make fun of your faith. And ultimately what happens is the course of the evening wears on. If you stay, you will find that the truth comes out. There's an old saying that it's Latin, um, in vino es veritas, and loosely translated that, what it's saying is, uh, in wine there's truth. Um, loosely translated, that means in, <laughs> in our vernacular, in booze there's truth comes out, essentially is what it means, because the drunker they get, it seems like the looser the tongues get, and the more, more truthful. So they're telling you one thing when they're sober and, and mindful of what they're saying and they're careful not to say things, but you go and you hang out and these individuals that are your friends, they just start spewing things out of that hole in the front of their face that should probably be kept clamped shut, but they won't. And then you hear truthful things come out, what they really are feeling and and they start talking it. That's an unfortunate thing. That's an unfortunate thing. And they have all those things that go on, but we have all these promises that are, are given to us by our Father, the Holy Spirit. And in verse 24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? So if you see these things that are going on, why do you still have this longing and this yearning? Because that that you see is not hope. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So we're waiting for that thing that God has said is coming to truth because we're looking and we're waiting patiently on our Lord. And verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helps our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And this is telling us that not necessarily that we're sick, but infirmity is, is that we're misguided, we're misled in things that are happening that we're unsure of. And that the spirit is always going to be there. And that's what is important, that we always have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We must remember also in verse 28, again in, in chapter 8, 
our letter of adoption from God Almighty. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God's purpose being about our Father's business. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What does God tell us? That we accept that Christ is our King, his only begotten Son, and we are heirs and joint heirs in the kingdom of heaven with Christ Jesus, our Lord and King. But very important for me, and this is where our finite minds have problems, but not me, because I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor the angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That love that God ordained for us, that when we accept, <clears throat> pardon me, we choose to accept that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son. That is an affirmation of his love. that promise that he's given. And this is where the trouble comes in with our finite minds. We try to figure it out. And we can't. We can't figure it out because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And it's just not able for us to be able to gather. We can't even figure out the mystery of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. <clears throat> Pardon me. We have trouble figuring out that Jesus came and was crucified. For us. We have problems with that. So how in the world do we think we're going to figure out the mystery of God? How do we think we're going to be able to figure that out? And here's another important thing. And I'm going to share this because this is important. Paul writes it in his second letter to Timothy. And remember, I shared with you that Timothy is um, not his flesh and blood and not his earthly child. But Paul declares that Timothy is his son. 
because spiritually he loves Timothy so much and Timothy followed him, was his student and followed the word. So he declares this. So Paul writes him a couple letters and in these things we can, we find these things and there's a, this is important. And this we can find in 2 Timothy 1.12. And Paul shares, um, actually we're going to go back up to 11. It's important because it ties in and this is important that he's writing this and, and making a declaration. And it's true. What Paul is saying is true. Whereunto I am appointed as a preacher and an apostle. Jesus, remember, knocked him off his ass in the middle of the road to Damascus and knocked him on his backside. And Paul was down there in the middle of the road and Jesus came and stood over him and said, Saul, 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 why persecutest thou me? Because that's what he was doing. He was chasing after those that believed in Christ Jesus burning out their homes, burning out wherever they were meeting, taking them prisoner and having them cast in bonds. And they were taken back to Jerusalem to be tried. And I would imagine if the Pharisees had anything to do with it, probably had them stoned or crucified. Verse 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, which is exactly what Jesus had him to do. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And I was thinking of this. This is why I got to chatting with the Holy Spirit earlier is because I remember as a child this song, uh, Abiyawa, thank you. As a child in the church that I was raised in. And it was, a, I, the song was awesome. And it was tugging at me. And as I look in retrospect, I remember that God was with me then as he is with me now. I just didn't see it then. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair. I know not if I'll lay me down or rise to meet him in the air. But I know in whom I am believing. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What does that mean? The word of God tells us that the second coming of Jesus will be an utter surprise. We're, we, we don't know. And all those that tried to say that they have it figured out, there's a special secret code and they've broken the code and they know. Well, let me tell you this about that. They're liars and they don't know because it hasn't been done. And if it was done, then God would tell all of us. 
and it hasn't been done, so he's not telling a select few so that they can take advantage of it, which is exactly what they're doing. And what does Jesus tell us? None know the hour save the Father himself. The angels in heaven don't even ask God. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Are we gonna go? We're gonna go, we're gonna go, we're gonna go. No, he doesn't. They don't do that because he's not gonna. When it's time, he will say, Gabriel, come blow your horn. It's that time. Then and only then will we know. And the heavens will be split. And he that rides the white horse and has his name written and carries a flaming sword and his eyes are like fire and he wears a golden crown upon his head and the hosts of the hosts of heaven follow him that's when we will know not beforehand no secret code and no breaking the enigma there's no breaking the code. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What is that day? That day is that day when we stand before him and these things that we give to him, we've repented and given to him. He keeps him. He doesn't remind us. He doesn't put it back on us. Only the devil does that. Only the accuser wants us to be filthy, wants us to be separated, and doesn't want that day to take place. Well, brothers and sisters, I tell you this, with all these things that are going on and what I've shared with you around, that we have that hope, and that hope is our faith, and that Christ Jesus, the anointed of God, came for us that we would have and be able to be repentant, forgiven, and that we can join and be heirs and joint heirs with him in the kingdom of heaven. That opportunity is really easy. All you have to do is simply declare and ask and it'll be done. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers. How am I going out? Am I coming in every day? Be blessed.